and welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, Frida Odesson, VP of US Sales at Cognizant. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed, and we'll be unpacking why these trends are important for Outbound. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. So hi, Devin. Welcome to today's episode of Redefining Outbound. Yo, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Um, so to kick things off, can you please introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, name is Devin Reed, currently the head of content over at Clary. Uh, I also am the founder of The Reader, which is kind of like my side hustle where I run a newsletter, uh, and produce content for other creators, marketers and sellers. And uh, if I went one step deeper, I'd say I'm a dad of two girls, big sneaker head, and uh, have been in sales and marketing in, the, in SaaS for about 10 years now. Hmm, interesting. I feel like a lot of people in sales are sneaker heads. Is there like a co- correlation there? I think being in sales allows you to afford uh, being a sneaker mm-hmm. head because it's a bit of an expensive habit uh, if you let it be. So commission checks have definitely gone to my sneaker collection, no doubt. Do you know how many sneakers you have? Uh, there, there's a there's an irony there where like the hashtag I use on social media is don't ask how many I got because I really don't know, <laughs> uh, which is obnoxious uh, in length on purpose. But honestly, it, it was around somewhere in the 70s uh, when I moved a couple years ago. I, I counted, and uh, but I, but lately I've been like donating a lot more and trying to kind of uh, whittle it down a little bit, uh, so it's not so excessive. Right. Yeah, I guess that becomes a problem when you move. <laughs> yeah, you got kids and less space and, uh, you know, you, you only got two feet. You don't need that many pairs of shoes, I guess. True. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So one thing that we always start each episode with is just asking our guests, like, what does redefining outbound mean to you? Good question. I would say it means experimenting and learning what's working right now with your buyers in two big ways. One is which topics are hyper relevant right now. And two, what are the consumption patterns of people right now? So you can format and kind of package up your message in a way that's most likely to be seen, consumed and understood. Very good answer. Very clear, concise. I like that. Okay, so you have a pretty interesting sort of career background uh, that I'd love to dig into a little bit. Uh, because you, sure. you're one of those people that made a shift from sales into marketing. So um, I'd love to hear about your journey a little bit more going from AE to head of content. Like what motivated that shift? How, how did that happen? Yeah, so I would say I was probably about five years into my sales career. And I don't know if I was ever great at sales. It, it took a lot of energy and work to just not suck. Uh, and I had just kind of gotten to like good, I would say. And I kind of just had this feeling of like, I've learned the kind of like one-to-one or one-to-few communication style, right? Where you're on a call kind of like this, but obviously a sales scenario, maybe one-to-few, you know, group setting. And I was creating a lot of content. I think salespeople create the most content of anyone in an organization, by the way, because they're creating proposals, uh, emails, or cold call, call scripts, all these different things. And I kind of had this thought of like, I wonder if I can use more of my writing skills and some of my communication, like spoken communication skills to do one to many and have like a larger impact at the organization instead of instead of just like the uh, the knife fights I was used to uh, for, for all my sales, uh, you know, sales deals. And so 
I was at Gong as a sales rep, and we can kind of get into how I got got there if, if interested. But um, I was the second sales rep there in 2017. And what had actually gotten me to Gong and even hearing about them was their their Gong Labs uh, blog article or blog series, which was uh, all about using data and kind of the science of sales. And so that really wowed me. And I was like, this is by far the best B2B content I've seen. This is how I would like to do it if I ever had a chance. Um, but I had never just, you know, I'd taken some shots trying to get into marketing at, the, you know, other organizations and just kind of like applying. And it was just really tough to get someone one who had five years of sales experience from an external company and like, yeah, I'll just give you a marketing job. Like that wasn't happening. And it was even really tough to transfer within my organization. I had tried a couple of those as well. And so when I was starting at Gong, I had kind of expressed that early on to my VP of sales and other people like, I'm not going to be a rep for life. Uh, I, you know, I like my job, but I want to find a way to kind of use those skills and make a bigger impact. And so did some contributing for, for Gong as a sales rep, wrote some blogs, uh, hosted a LinkedIn uh, live series for a few weeks. And really what that did was confirm with myself, this is something I really am passionate about, something I'm good at. And it showed the leadership team at Gong like, hey, Devin is serious about this. He can hit quota and come over to marketing and contribute. And so when I made the ask of, hey, can I move from rep over to uh, a marketing manager? Uh, it was a much smoother conversation because I'd already kind of proven that out. Got it. So what do you think is one of the main benefits having been in sales uh, that you can use in your day-to-day -day, uh, life as a marketer? So for me personally, I think there's there's two big ones. The first is I understood my persona better than any of my competitors because I was my persona, right? I had literally just spent at that time seven years, six, seven years uh, in sales and when we went to talk about, hey, what do salespeople care about right now? How do they talk? Uh, which channels do they use? Which channels do they not use? All these questions that kind of define your content strategy. It was like it was like first nature to me. I'm like, well, it's me. Like I open every day. I open up my laptop. I open up Salesforce, email, and LinkedIn. So that's what we're going to build. We can't build on link on Salesforce, obviously. So it's like let's build on LinkedIn. Let's build on email. Okay, there's a decision done. Um, and so I would say just understanding my persona by being it. Uh, and the second one would be, I know it's a phrase now, but extreme accountability, where in sales, mm. it's do or die. You live by your number. You're literally at the end of a month, end of a quarter. There's a number and a percentage of how valuable are you? How successful were you? And for better or for worse, I know that can have ups and downs when you're in sales. But when I moved to marketing, I didn't want to like lose the quota. Like I always had a quota or a KPI that decided my bonus. And I've always wanted that level of accountability. And so especially in the content realm where you can kind of become like a brand guy or a brand gal and like kind of fluffy, hard to pin down your impact when with myself and when I started growing my team, I was very deliberate about setting KPIs, sharing those KPIs broadly and making sure I drove my team to hitting them because that's all I knew. That's how I operate. Otherwise, like I would just go to bed and like, I don't know, did I do good today? Did I not do good today? Like, am I winning or losing? Uh, and that winning or losing is really important as, as most salespeople will tell you, that's kind of what, what drives a lot of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Do you think there's like a misalignment, uh, between sales and marketing today in terms of like, uh, truly understanding who you're prospecting into? You mentioned like some of that. In terms of who we prospect into, I think it, I mean, there should be a line like who we sell to. I know there's some companies that are like newer, younger, obviously you're always kind of figuring out or refining it. I think the 
misalignment that I've seen is because there's usually, there's usually one of two things. One is the goals are not aligned. So marketing, for example, kind of classic error is like they're on MQLs, they get a thousand MQLs, they celebrate sales is on revenue. If MQLs don't turn into revenue, there's going to be a disconnect, right? Cause you're kind of playing two different games or, or maybe you're playing the same game, but keeping score in the wrong, you know, two different ways, which, which ends up with some friction. Uh, and so that doesn't work. The other one is when marketing is running campaigns making big bets, doing these, you know, making decisions and the sales team maybe doesn't understand the why behind it. And they haven't been prepared to understand or maybe how to speak to, you know, kind of the leads that come in, the demand that follows. And so there can be kind of some butting heads when sales kind of feels blindsided and doesn't understand the why, right? They see a campaign going like, why are we talking to that person? Why are we positioning in this way? Why are, why is our messaging, you know, uh, the way that it is. And so if there's not a lot of communication early on to say, Hey, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Here's how we're going to go about it. And here's how it impacts you. Then again, you're going to get a lot of friction and that can lead to obviously some, some conflict internally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think especially for that first point, like not being aligned on like being measured on revenue, like why do you think that keeps happening and, and how can we change that? So I'm not it a seems CMO. Like such a no -brainer. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like a no brainer. I'm, I'm not going to like, I'm not throwing shade when I say this. I, I think it's honest. Like if you don't have to be measured on the hardest thing to uh, obtain, like I think a lot of people would lean towards that, right? Like, can I have, my job would be easier if it was just MQLs. It's a lot mm -hmm. less accountability, right? It's kind of like, if you want to game the system, just put your team on MQLs because you make your own MQL like uh, formula, right? Like you decide what an MQL is. And then you can just kind of like, I don't want to say game the system, but you can do things to beat that game that don't drive the business forward. Right? So that's the thing is like, maybe you have certain types of leads that convert higher, bigger ASP, right? Faster sales cycle. But those might be the hardest MQLs to get. So what are you going to do naturally? You're going to do the easiest MQLs. You're going to get your goal the easiest way you can. Salespeople do that too. We'd rather, you know, of course, it's natural. So I think uh, that's kind of a big one is just like figuring out how can you how can you align that and make sure you're doing doing the right things. And, uh, you know, I think for a long time, before, you know, with the growth, growth at all costs era, that was doable. You could kind of afford to make... Um, decisions that were a little fluffy or kind of you know bend around it and now everyone's like look it's kind of revenue or not which i think is actually mm -hmm. a good thing for for a lot of marketers yeah and that kind of answered actually my second question like why is this shift important given the current state of outbound and, and the current ec economic climate that we're in that's sort of it right it's do or die in terms of revenue i mean maybe it was my na uh, naivety when i like entered SaaS, but i was always kind of like i saw waste left and right i think we all kind of did and we just kind of like i don't know this is the way it is but it always felt a little funky like to me you're running a business if you're not making money if you're not actually driving revenue and you're not making money you're not profitable you're not really running a business you're kind of just like i don't know it's like a hobby i don't know it's something else but it's not really a <laughs> sustainable business and so i kind of like it and like i said it makes it more challenging there's more pressure but folks who can adapt right now and can say marketers specifically who can adapt right now and figure out how to be a revenue generating marketer, even if you're in design, even if you're in brand, you're going to be extremely valuable for the next 10, 20, 30 years of your career. Yeah, 100%. Um, awesome. So another thing I, I was curious to dig into with you, because uh, you recently spoke on LinkedIn in a LinkedIn post uh, about how you can run ABM plays uh, with a podcast. Um, and it was yeah. split into three sections, I think prep content convert. 
Uh, can you please expand on this strategy? I think that's like super interesting. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> there's the obvious use of a podcast, which is, you know, there's there's value, you know, position yourself as a thought leader, right? There's the audio files, the video files, and all this great marketing and, and stuff you can do with it. But again, going back to my, you know, my my sales mind, I'm like, how can we use this channel to open up conversations with tier one accounts that we really want to sell to. And so, you know, if you're reaching out to people to sell them something, you're, as we all know, reply rates are low, especially right now, it's really hard to get an executive, right? To just take a cold, a cold meeting. So what we thought was what's a better offer, a better offer would be to reach out to our VP of sales who, who we sold to at, at the time for this, uh, of this example and say, what if we gave them an opportunity to put them on stage? which was, hey, we have this podcast, it's getting, I don't know, at the time, I think 1,000, 1,500 downloads per episode. Why don't we reach out and say, hey, we have this, which was a successful industry podcast, and say, hey, we want you to be on it for this reason, so you can help your peers and kind of elevate yourself, right? Much better offer, much better offer. And so we would start to say, hey, let's get these tier accounts. Let's find out what our tier one accounts are. Who's the one person that you would love a meeting with? And rather be the rep if they felt comfortable, maybe some back and forth with them, but they couldn't quite hook them or myself, I would reach out on their behalf and invite them onto the show. So once we got them onto the show, what we did was the interview, which was valuable for our viewers was also kind of a quasi discovery call because we're talking about, Hey, what are you working on? What are you focused on? Uh, why is that an initiative? What, you know, all these kind of like high level things where we're not making, we're not flipping the switch into solution mode, which is like, Oh, and mm -hmm. by the way, you can use our product, but it provided a lot of valuable insight again for listeners and for us who realized, Oh, wow, here's two big initiatives that this VP of sales is working on. Let's follow up with that. So anyway, so we get on the, you know, we get the podcast, the content part, uh, you know, record, publish, right? We ask them to share it if they want to. And then the follow-up on the convert uh, for the third piece was we would take a snippet from that podcast. So where, where the VP of sales said, my number one initiative is this. And the reason we're struggling is that. And here's what we're trying to get to. And we gave it to the SDR and said, use this, Put, give her her own words back. And then in that email or that cold call, flip the switch, say, this is why, this is exactly what we do. And we think we can help. Now, the reason that converts and that, that worked for this example, and they ended up being a $120,000, $130,000 enterprise deal, you know, a few months later, once we ran the sales cycle was one, it was kind of that feeling of reciprocation, right? We had done this nice thing to them, put them on stage. They felt like, you know, it's kind of subconscious, but like, I owe you, or at least I like you. And they did have a good experience with us, right? And so later when we asked for time with really succinct and precise reason to meet with us, it was kind of irresistible. And so that was one of the success stories. We've done it a few times. They don't always turn into deals, but at the very worst, you've got one of your prospects giving you 45 minutes, kind of like we're doing today, recording, talking, and having a good experience. So what I'm hearing is you might buy Cognizant in six months from now. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw the question in the sheet, I was like, how, how uh, what meta that I'm, that I'm giving this play that could very easily be used against me. Yeah. You will hear from our SDRs very soon. <laughs> um, awesome. So another thing I was curious to ask you about is um, messaging. Because um, it sounds like when you were an AE, uh, that was like one of your uh, big things that you really leaned into. But I know a lot of salespeople don't have this tool, right? Um, so what do you think sellers can learn from marketers uh, in regards to sending out from the crowd in terms of like their messaging? Like, are there any like 
low hanging fruit that they can implement, for example. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think at least for me, it was copywriting. So I think copywriting gets fit under marketing, but it's really just a professional skill. Like anyone that, mm -hmm. you know, has a job sh should be a good copywriter. Now, you might call it a writer because copywriter sounds kind of fancy or like nuanced within, uh, you know, a certain kind of industry. But um, at the end of the day, the things that salespeople can do that hopefully marketers are doing too, is some of the basics of copywriting is one is making it hyper relevant. So not generic messaging. And I think the problem with that starts with personas, right? We're talking to VPs of sales who are 30 to 45 or whatever age, I don't know, 30, you know, whatever they're in tech. But what you get is kind of this mismatch. It's not really a person. It's just like a, like a Frankenstein. And so a lot of times the, the messaging that sales, when you're talking to a persona also feels kind of generic and it doesn't really hit home. And so I think like one is being hyper relevant. Uh, the other one is just being as concise as possible. When you're writing an email right before you send it, read it aloud and cut as many words as possible. Um, and I would say too, is really just think about your offer and how you're positioning or you know, messaging or positioning that offer, which is you don't always have to ask for time for a meeting. There's a lot of different ways that you can spark a conversation, build some trust, and then convert that into a conversation and hopefully a qualified me you know, meeting or, or deal. But the challenge is, and I understand it because you're under pressure, is to take the, again, going back, the shortest path to success, one email asking for the meeting instead of maybe multiple emails asking for uh, attention, right, or a click or something. And that might take a week or two to get that meeting. But again, if you zoom out and say, hey, what's best for the business? What's really like, then you should maybe change your KPIs. And I know it's another, another topic, but anyway, I started to ramble a bit, but those are kind of the three things I would say sales folks can, can learn from, from marketers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing more and more people talk about moving away from like personalizing for that specific person. Right. And more so trying to be hyper relevant for the persona because uh, it just yeah. scales much better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So from your perspective, what is something that you'd ask sellers to uh, you know, stop or continue doing for the remainder of 2023? Like what's going to help moving the needle, especially like moving those like big deals? Okay. So I have this I don't know if it's a philosophy, it's probably a theory where when I was selling, of course, you want to get to the decision maker, which I know that meaning has kind of changed. But really, at the end of the day, you're like, we need to get to the person who can say yes to buying and write a check or tell the, you know, like, go get budget in a, an associate, right? But when I was selling, that was really hard to do. Like, we all know that that's extremely hard to do. And a lot of times it might be the CEO, the CRO, CMO, who at the end of the day is the decision maker, like the final say, but they don't really care. Like they're impartial to if you purchase that tool or not, right? Like Frida, you probably have, I have to imagine some autonomy, like run your organization the way you want, get the tools you need to hit the goals I've told you. And they don't want to see a demo, right? Like most of them do not care about the, you know, the buttons and what the, the UI looks like. But I, but one of the biggest mistakes is you get told that as a seller, you got to get to the decision maker. They have to like have complete buy-in. But I think you can often, you're kind of like chasing the wrong squirrel. And so what I was always looking for is actually like the really hungry, motivated director of sales or senior director of sales, or sometimes the VP, that person who wants to be a change agent, the person who says, you know what, I'm going to be the person who goes above and beyond, buys, implements this tech because I know it's going to hit this big goal for the company. And I want that personal and professional satisfaction. These are, you, but, but when you think of your sales strategy, what are they called? 
influencers. Those are just the influencers. There's like seven or 10 of them. Like we'll take some, but we don't need them. I believe if you find like, instead of like your, it's like your champion, but find like a super influencer, like a super champion in that mix and get them to get you into a meeting just to get that final say, you know, present the business case, whatever it is. So a lot of context and a long-winded answer to say, don't just chase the like economic buyer, uh, or at least don't do it with blinders on, like have a, you know, have a good purview and understand the real, the real flow of influence in the account that you're selling to. That's a really good advice. I hope a lot of salespeople listen to this podcast and hear this. Um, and yeah, a lot well, of I mean, it's hard to accept when you're in sales, but like a lot of the selling happens when you're not there. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I, okay, look, I'll, I'll call it like, I am that director, right? Like I'm the guy, like if you get me all in, I will go to my VP CMO, get things done and buy, I've done it before, mm-hmm. but my VP doesn't literally doesn't want to be on any demos. He doesn't like, he's like, Devin, I trust you go do it. My CMO doesn't want to be on demos, but he might pressure test. So like, if you just constantly bug me, like Devin, we have to get to Julian. We have to get to Kyle. We have to get to Julian. I'm like, look, dude, you don't trust me. You're not listening to how things are getting done. You're kind of pissing me off. So like, I'm good. I'll just pass because you're making my job. You're making my life harder, and I and it should be you know mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. So find what the is a good approach. Find yeah. the Devons. No. <laughs> <laughs> find the, the Devons. They're gonna make your life easy. <laughs> awesome, cool. Those were all my questions. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I learned a lot from you. Uh, so thank you. Absolutely. And I'm, you will I'm hear from our to. SDRs. <laughs> yeah, I'll wait for it. I'll see what snippet that they, they, they use and, and flip back to me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Frida. I really appreciate the time. Awesome. Thank you.